There's a young man. I talked to him. I wish I was with you. That's really weird, Lisa. I'm the greatest God created. Power tripping. On the mission. Taffy says it's a waste of time to try and fix a boy. It's better to just accept a guy's flaws. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I can't do that. Not until we bury the body. There's no turning back now. I can't be saved. And in the next life they'll remember me. Remember me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, high school necrophiliacs. Yeah, I'm doing all right. How the hell are you doing? Um, I'm actually doing better now. I, I've been... Uh, going through recovering from like a it's either nasty head cold maybe bordering on like a mild flu uh, about middle of the last week to uh, the end of the week and uh, it, it put my uh, editing plans for the main show on hold uh, but luckily I actually was able to finish that up today so uh, it'll be a double release week for fans uh, or listeners of like all our shows, so uh, triple release. No more Roman Heady. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, uh, actually, I've got yeah, one in the can release. too that we'll talk about later. <laughs> all right, cool. Even better then. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad, uh, man, because like not only was it taking us forever to finally record that episode, but I was like, and what are the chances I get sick when I want to go to start editing it? So <laughs> the the curse, I guess, is finally lifted off that episode. It should be out this coming week. Uh, hey, Sounds everyone like got some info. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, they all got info they usually get at the end of the show, so we'll I'll probably repeat it in a in a shorter version at the end. But uh, right. also with us, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Always happy to be here. All right, so this episode, uh, not a big surprise. We didn't pull a switch. We are going with Lisa Frankenstein. It was part of the double re uh, theatrical release. A couple weeks ago, um, as our regular listeners would know, we did Out of Darkness first, and uh, this was the leftover movie uh, to cover this week in the theater. So, Lisa Frankenstein rated PG-13, hour 41 minutes. Let's take the synopsis off IMDb. A coming-of-rage story about a teenager and her crush who happens to be a corpse. After a set of horrific circumstances bring them back to life, the two embark on a journey to find love, happiness, and a few missing body parts. 
All right, that is Lisa Frankenstein summary or synopsis. So we will start with our general thoughts. Venom, what did you think of Lisa Frankenstein? All right, so going into this movie, I had two major um, kind of expectations, maybe not expectations, but concerns. That's a better way to put it. I had two concerns going into this movie. The first one is I'm not a very big fan of Diablo Cody's writing. Uh, we talked about it on the main show a little bit when I talked about my rewatch of Jennifer's Body and how I did not enjoy it, just like the first watch back in 2009 in theaters. I also did not enjoy it, so it's not like it, you know, aged like a fine wine. So that was one of my biggest concerns. Uh, the other concern I had was that the movie's called Lisa Frankenstein, and as most of my listeners know, I don't watch trailers, so I was very concerned that this was just going to be a very traditional Frankenstein movie. Uh, we've had a few of those over the last couple of years, stuff like Depraved and The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, and you know, and those were both kind of just traditional, maybe not traditional, untraditional takes at the traditional Frankenstein story. Let's go with that. So, uh, I watched this today. Unfortunately, I only had a chance to watch it once because there was a couple other things I needed to do this weekend, but I am very happy to say that I absolutely loved this movie. Um, I thought the writing was clever. It was still very female-centric in a lot of the jokes that they used, but for some reason, it worked for me here as opposed to, let's say, Jennifer's Body where a lot of the female-centric jokes there just kind of made me groan. I don't know if that means I've grown as a person uh, or anything like that, but for whatever it's worth, I found the comedy um, hit for the most part. I thought the romance was – and you guys know I hate forced romances, and but this movie is basically a horror romance. And for whatever it's worth, it worked for me. I think the biggest part of it is that Lisa's uh, creature didn't speak – at least not until the yeah, – that, that's, a, that's a spoiler. I'll leave that alone. Um, he doesn't – you know, the creature doesn't speak. And I think the one-sided conversation, like the one-sided relationship aspect of this uh, the film just worked for me. I, I just – I found it just – I found Lisa herself charming. I thought the actress did a really good job. Um, it, it's great to see Carla uh, Gugino again in, in a genre film, even though she's playing eh, what is basically an absolute cunt, but, you know, for sake of a better word. But she does it well. So ultimately, no bad performances here. Nothing really was all that cringy. I think there was a love interest in the movie, Lisa's love interest, or living love interest, that really didn't do much for me. I, I, I didn't think he was a very good actor and, you know, uh, just came off as kind of, I don't know, a little too young for the role, if you will. Um, but otherwise, I mean, the, the rest of the performances all worked for me. Not a lot of gore, uh, if, if at all, really. Um, most of the kills, and there aren't even that many, but most of them are off screen. The one that is on screen is just somebody getting hit in the head with a sewing machine. So, uh, again, this movie's definitely not going for the gore. Or the kills, it's definitely going more for the comedy and just, you know, Lisa's kind of um, coming of age in this town where she's a stranger in a strange land because, you know, very early in the film, she has a tragedy in her family and she's forced to move to a new town during her senior year in high school. Um, she's obviously an outcast. Um, she does have a uh, stepsister who... Uh, 
is not a stranger in this town. She's been here a while, so she has, like, the popular sister to help her out. For the most part, I liked the relationship between the two sisters. There is a catalyst event in the third act that absolutely makes me hate the sister, but again, I think that's the intention of, um, you know, of Zelda and Diablo. Zelda Williams, of course, being the director of the film, Diablo the writer. Um, so... There's not really a whole lot I can say as far as general thoughts. Like I said, I just I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, this is the surprise of 2024 for me right now. I fully expected this to be just another Diablo Cody, uh, a little too female-centric horror story that just doesn't work for me. But this one I, I had an absolute blast with. I fell in love with Lisa instantly. She's very likable, at least in my opinion. Uh, I thought the creature was really great. I love uh, the opening credits where it's like an animated sequence that tells us about the events that kind of lead up to the creature's death, uh, his first death, I should say, you know, when he's living. And all of that just worked for me. And like I said, the fact that this wasn't a traditional Frankenstein movie, this wasn't Lisa, you know, digging up graves and grabbing body parts and putting them together, kind of like May or Roman, those two movies. Um this one just, you know, I understand why they use the name Lisa Frankenstein, because uh, later in the film she does do some Frankenstein-like things, and I'm okay with it, especially because she she's such a sweetheart that she's doing it for the creature. She's doing him a favor. Um, you know, at no point is she doing anything really selfishly throughout the film for the creature. Everything is just she wants to make the creature as comfortable as possible, um, just, you know, make them maybe not fit in necessarily, but at least hide when he needs to hide, you know, and, and shut up when he needs to shut up. Like I said, he doesn't speak, but he still does make some great noises, grunts and groans and things like that, which a few of them are timed beautifully, which again adds to the comedy of the whole thing. So yeah, I'm going to say that I am just as shocked that anybody, as anyone else that I actually walked away genuinely loving this. And even though it's not going to stay like this, obviously we're only, what, three weeks into February, the second month of the year. As of right now, this is my favorite movie of the year. I loved Out of Darkness last week, but obviously, you know, we talked about some of its shortcomings, some of its muddy messaging, um, things like that. And, of course, the reveal that may not work for a lot of horror fans this one was an absolute joy. It was a treat. Um, early on, I was a little skeptical because the movie's set in 1989, so it's, you know, it's another 80s period piece. Um, you know, we're kind of getting bombarded with those over the last five to ten years. But this one worked. It didn't really lean into the 80s, other than for the score. But as far as, like, the fashions, yes, people look like 1989, but not overtly. You know what I mean? Sometimes when we see, you know, it's not like everybody looked like they were breakdancing and, you know, going to the mall every minute of the day. They, they look like normal high school kids that had an 80s aesthetic to them. And I, I like that. They weren't forcing the 80s down my throat. So another thing I liked about the movie. So, yeah, overall, I think this movie was great. And I am... I did go online and check out some reviews, and I'm noticing uh, friends and podcasters who generally love Diablo Cody not enjoying this movie. Uh, a very close friend to the show, uh, Lucy Liu, just kind of released her review. Lacey. Lacey, I said Lucy. I'm so sorry. I'm a little stoned. Shut up. 
<laughs> um, yeah, uh, Lacey Lou uh, released her review of it, a very short uh, review, just a blurb, um, and she didn't like it. And Lacey is usually someone who likes Diablo Cody. And like I said, she's not the only example of that that I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of hardcore Diablo Cody fans maybe saying, eh, this one didn't work so much for me. So I'm not sure why this one worked for me and didn't work for hardcore Diablo Cody fans, but... All I can really say is, after one watch, I had a I had a great time with it. I'm not going to say I had a blast, like it was an ultra-fun movie. It's just a really sweet movie with a nice story. Is it going to work for everybody? Of course not. It's definitely not. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two people on this show aren't as high on this as I am. And that's okay, because like I said, this was an absolute surprise. I'm happy that it's a surprise, because... Every movie that I watch so far this year, I want to be good, and I've just been disappointed over and over and over again. And now, two weeks in a row, with Out of Darkness and now Lisa Frankenstein, I'm finally starting to see some quality filmmaking, at least in the horror genre, in 2024. So, overall, I enjoyed this movie. Um, it is a very high school-centric movie, but that didn't bother me this time. And in a lot of youth-oriented horror movies, that aesthetic bothers me a lot of the times. This one didn't. Maybe it's because I was a teenager in you know during this period, so I, I related to a lot of the stuff taught you know being talked about here, the attitudes and things like that. So yeah, there goes my tablet. Okay, so yeah. Um, overall, I enjoyed this movie and I recommend it. Um, I, I don't know that I can recommend it for everybody, but like I said, if you're a fan of horror comedies, um, if you're a fan of, you know, this kind of, uh, pithy writing, you know, with lots of quick fire jokes and, and little one liners that may be funny to some people, but not others. Um, I, I can't recommend this movie enough. So yeah. Lisa Frankenstein, uh, sadly or not, depending on how you look at it, my favorite movie of the year so far. So I'll leave my general thoughts at that. Okay. Yes, I am a little surprised, but hey, <laughs> it's never a bad thing to be surprised that you, you know, someone likes something. Yeah. Like, or even more than likes it. So, not, not a bad thing. But uh, let's go over to Don. What did you think of Lisa Frankenstein? Uh, yeah, uh, consider me on the opposite side of the fence's venom as I didn't really care for this one. Um, yeah, there, there, I, I, I did find a lot to like here. Um, I, I, again, the setup is fine. I, I like the general, uh, plot, you know, the general aesthetic of everything. Uh, some fun moments here and there. Um, a couple of the interactions are, you know, hilarious and, you know, far better, far funnier than you'd think they'd be. Um, you know, yeah, you, you, uh, one-sided conversations are a big factor to that. I, I really like the chemistry that the two of them had. But for the longest time, I kept on wondering what what made this a horror movie. And it wasn't until the last act that it finally managed it. So a, a lot of the times with this, uh, even though I, I didn't hate it, a lot of it was just spent wondering when's it actually going to be a horror film, even if it's going to be a you know teen-centric one. Which I'm not a you know I'm not opposed to um, you know I I still have memories from you know babysitting my sister and you know watching Disney Channel and Nickelodeon horror movies for Halloween so it's not like it's you know a very yeah you know I'm I can watch you know Serbian film or Cannibal Holocaust but it's not like I can't watch you know watch something that you know Disney Channel popped off which uh, outside of maybe one or two jokes and you know trim the language. 
this very easily could have been, uh, you know, something for that channel, especially with some of the, you know, stars attached. Uh, you know, the history with the history that they have there would probably have made this, you know, a, a very suitable kind of a film for them. So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of this wondering when's it going to be a horror movie. And then the last act of this kind of just killed it for me. Um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of it wondering where a lot of the motivations for everything went on, because a lot of the character decisions in here are just nonsensical. Uh, a lot of it's Lisa. I I don't understand what happened, but I, I liked her at first. And then just the more she kept talking, the more she kept interacting with others, the more she changed and the more she became, you know, infatuated with the new guy, the less I liked her. And eventually it just came to a point in the third act where she just became an absolute bitch. And I had very little empathy or, or even care for what she did. Um I, I I don't want to get heavily into spoilers, but I, I I didn't find a lot of what she went through very realistic. Where ninety percent of the film, or even more than that, like maybe ninety five percent, she has her mindset on this one thing. She's trying to do that while also, you you know, she has, she has two main goals. You know, again, I can't say much, but. There's two main goals that she has in the film. 95% of it is spent on trying to win the affections of this one person. And the, there's the secondary solution, which is off to the sides, which I'm not going to spoil. But all of a sudden, she then switches gears and suddenly becomes infatuated with the other guy like 10 minutes before the movie ends and then goes through with it like it means nothing. And... It, it, I, trying to I'm catching myself here spoiling stuff, but it, it it just didn't really endear me to her as for what went on. But I, I I did find parts of it enjoyable, even if it's not much of a horror film. Uh, you know, there's definitely been much worse I've seen here, but yeah, it, some of the stuff was fine. You know, like I said, some of the you know couple of the jokes and you know situations are genuinely hilarious and gut busting but not all of it worked um more than more of it did than didn't so uh, i am gonna say it did you know it did pull um it did pull off in that regard but yeah a lot of the third act just didn't really work for me a lot of the motivations and decision making didn't sit right and I don't really find the finale all that interesting. Um, I I don't think that's really the way I would have gone with it. But, yeah, overall, I, I can't say I hated it. I can't say I really liked it. Um, I'm probably going to, you know, lean more towards the not really recommending it just because I don't, you know, one of the major issues with it is I don't see it that much of a horror movie. So that kind of weighs weighs uh you know a little bit heavier than some of the other issues I have with it, but I like I said I, I've seen much worse than this, but I I can't really say that it's as much of a horror film as some of the other stuff. So yeah, it's not really one for me. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say because I'm kind of trying to catch myself from saying spoilers, but yeah, I I liked it enough to not turn it off, but I I don't know if this is something I would have ever I'd ever go back to or, you know, maybe want to watch again. So, uh, yes, that's pretty much 
all for me. <clears throat> all right, so we've heard the yay, we've heard the nay, and now we're going to hear the fence sitter because I'm probably somewhere in between you guys. Um, first, the positives. I really like the sound design. I really like the look. I really like some of the ideas this movie uh, wants to explore. Um, I think for the most part, all the actors, the, or you know, obviously the cast, I think is is good. Um, as far as Diablo Cody as like a writer director, you know, I I am someone that did like Jennifer's Body, but I wouldn't call myself like Diablo Cody fan. Like it, it's not like any time well, she, she directs or writes something, I have to like go out and has see she actually it, but, directed anything? Has she actually directed anything? I thought she's just been a writer. I don't. Know, I thought she. I thought she did uh, direct something, but maybe not. I mean, maybe it's mostly just... I know she's more known for yeah. being a writer than a director. But, you know, as far... Okay, so I'll just leave it to, like, her written stuff. Like, there's some stuff she's done that I like. Like, I'm someone that likes Jennifer's body and wasn't crazy about Juno, where most people are, like, the other way around. Like, Juno's the much more, I think, critically uh, acclaimed. Although it does seem like Jennifer's body is getting a little more retroactive, like, positive reaction now than it did when it came out. But, you know, that's a discussion for another time. Um, so, yeah, in this movie, like I said, um, they they do a good job of, like, the 80s aesthetic. But, again, I think, like, even Venom alluded to, we've got so much of it by now that, like, everybody pretty much has, like, a, a template and a manuscript of how to do it. So... Uh, yeah, they, they're, this one, I think, takes place in 89, so maybe that's a signal that, hey, we're about to hit 1990 with our nostalgia, or at least more of it, but we'll see. Um, as far as, like, the stuff that I thought was not so successful, I gotta say, I think Dawn actually nailed, like, a lot of my criticisms, and what I want to do is combine what Dawn said with, uh, something that I asked, uh, I asked Necromandra, or, Andrea Supasati, whoever, whatever people know her by, the Rumorg magazine editor. I asked her her thoughts because she saw it on a sneak preview, and she said she thought it was interesting, but it felt incomplete, and I and I and like an incomplete story. And I looked at the runtime, and it is an hour and forty one minutes, so it's not like it suffered from being so short that it didn't have time to to like fill in more story elements. But I do think there's something to what Don said about like how I think you go into the movie liking. The main character, her motivations, the her the setup, like the fir the first act, I would say like at least thirty minutes into the movie, I was sitting there in the theater like, wow, like th I think this is really good so far. I don't know why reviews are so kind of like middling. And then once I got to the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, I, I sympathize more with that thought because I'm, I'm I'm trying to rectify like why the main character takes such a change in her arc where it doesn't seem very fleshed out of why. And you think of the character, like with the whole play on the Frankenstein, right? Like obviously, you know, it's Dr. Frankenstein that is the crazy one and the monster is just the monster. So maybe they were trying to do the arc where like that's what happens to her, where she starts out with like good intentions and it just gets to her and she goes a little mad or whatever. And, she she ends up like she ends up but it feels like it's such like a swift turn where she just decides like the hell with everyone i just want to do what i want to do other people be damned that um i was kind of taken aback at like how swift that is once the third act hits now there is there is something that happens that you know i won't 
get into because we're not in spoilers yet that I understand why she would be angry about it. But, yeah, the decision she makes is just like kind of like, holy shit, you, you're really going down this road here. But to, to like keep it kind of brief for general thoughts, I still liked the movie. It's just to me it's one of those movies that like this had the potential to be like really, really good or great even. And I thought it just ended up being like kind of good, like better – like, like I would still say go see it in the theater, just because I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend most things in the theater unless I really just did like it and don't think it's good. So I I would still recommend this. I think there's enough good about it to where I did enjoy my time with it. I just think there was a, there was potential there that I saw that was so much more, especially after that first act. I, I I thought it was I thought it had the movie in a really good place, and just by the end of it, I was like okay. Instead of like building upon that and turning it into like a great movie, it just kind of like stayed medium for me. So that's my fence writing general thoughts. I'm right in the middle of Venom and Dawn on this one. So, uh, Venom, I, I'll kick it back to you and we can continue general thoughts if we want or go to spoilers. I'm, I'm going to say that Mike and Dawn were not bullied incessantly in high school because my friends, I was, I was bullied in high school. I did not have a growth spur until my junior year. So I was a, I was basically a little short meatball for the first couple of years of high school and, and all years before that. Uh, to me, Lisa's character turn in the, at the end of the second act makes 100% sense to me. One fucking 100% sense to me. The, the way that that town was treating her, the way that her own fucking father was treating her, the way that her stepmother was treating her, that woman has no support system in this movie. Lisa has, her sister is the only support system that she has in this entire movie. And then when that falls apart in the third act. I don't blame her a fucking single bit. If anything, I I give her credit for not lashing out at a certain character who broke her heart in this movie. I, I, again, like Don, I'm trying to be ambiguous for the first part here, but um I yeah, like I said, uh to hear to hear you guys say you don't under I mean, I, obviously you're probably more in the majority than I am. Um, most people probably aren't bullied incessantly in school, and that's that's good. That's great. No one deserves to be bullied. If you if you went through school and never got bullied, awesome. You lived a charmed life, my friends. But for those of us who were, I 100% understand uh, Lisa's motivation. Hell, I understand the motivation of the kid. And uh, we need we what's the name of that movie? We need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> As awful a thing as Kevin does in that movie, again, I understand the motivation because I've been in that pit of despair, that that sinkhole of depression where you think everyone hates you, nobody wants to see you, including your own family, and you figure it's better off to just not be here, to not exist. Trust me, my friends, those thoughts have crossed my mind, so... Um, I'm not saying Mike and Don are wrong, not at all. I'm saying that based on their life experience, I, that's why I'm thinking they're not seeing where this turn comes from. Because to me, it doesn't seem right out of left field, not at all. I mean, this is a slow progression. Don't forget what happens to Lisa in the very first fucking scene in the movie. Well, not the first scene in the movie, but at least, you know, before the events of the movie. That's got to be fucking traumatizing. Um, and then to be stuck in a situation where you're in a family with a stepmother who doesn't give a rat's ass about you, 
a, a father, your biological fucking father, who basically lets uh, his new wife raise his daughter and has almost no say in in it anymore. It just, you know, I, like I said, for whatever it's worth, I understand Lisa's motivation. And like I said, I'm not saying Mike and Donna wrong. I'm just saying through their life experience, you know, I, I can see why maybe they don't understand because I 100% do. Because trust me, okay. if you think I never went to bed during high school wanting to kill a couple of people in my class, you're ignorant. Because I, I wanted to constantly kill people in my school. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I didn't have a undead <laughs> uh, person show up at my house and give me the uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't want to say motivation, but maybe the, the balls, if you will, to be able to do what you're thinking in your head. Obviously, 99% of us don't act out on those feelings, and that's correct. Uh, we, you know, we, we shouldn't act violently, act out violently um, for things like that. Uh, but at the same time, I understand. So, yeah, go ahead, Don. Oh, I was going to say uh, two things. One, um, I, I was bullied um, through middle school, but uh, it kind of stopped after that. So um, by high school, I wasn't. So um, to answer that one, um, it, it happened through middle school, but um, by the time it was like seventh, eighth grade, it, it kind of stopped. And by middle, by high school, I, it wasn't much of an issue. Right. right. Uh, the other thing mm-hmm. was uh, maybe I missed something. That's her father. I thought that she was staying with her friend. That's why she moved? No, no, no. no. Her father married her friend's mother. That is her biological father in the movie. Oh, that is her father. That's 100% her father, yep. Because she keeps on, yeah, because she keeps calling her her friend. Okay, maybe, so yeah, I, I did miss something, because I thought she was staying with her friend, you know. Well, they are friends. Never, <clears throat> I mean, they don't call each other stepsisters in the movie. They are stepsisters. Yeah, okay. But so they don't really make I, that point, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's why I missed that. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. she has been staying with her friends the entire time, not like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I never thought that was her father. <laughs> yeah, her her biological mom had. Well, I know, I know um, that, but I, I figured that because yeah, yeah. of that center with her friends. Uh, because uh, Taffy actually tells the story. Uh, in that one scene, Taffy tells the story about how six months after the traumatic event that happens to Lisa, her father started dating, uh, you know, Carla Gugino's character, uh, Taffy's mother. And then literally a few months later, they were married. And that, you know, that that's part of Lisa's motivation. And she has that whole spiel in the movie about how people were so quick to just want to forget about her mother and move on with their life. But she didn't want that. She wanted to honor her mother and always remember her, but everybody else in her life, her own fucking father, you know, her stepsister, stepmother, everybody just wanted to forget about her. And, you know, so, again, like I said, um, I I totally understand Lisa. Maybe not totally. I I, I shouldn't make that statement. Um, But I understand her a a lot, like I said, because I was bullied in high school. And you got to realize high school – to combine bullying with your sexual emergence, because in middle school, you know, you're you're up to, what, 13 years old. And then in high school, you start high school at 14, at least in this country. So it's like from 14 to 18, you have a major sexual burgeoning. To combine that um, kind of blossoming, uh, it, uh, you know, um, I can't I, I can't think of the word already, but um, as far as maturing sexually – to combine that with coming bullying, of age, it, uh, not coming of age. Um, I, um, 
Damn it. I can't think of it. Um, but anyway, point is, um, and again, I'm not discrediting Don by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know Don's experience, and I'm not going to speak to Don's experience. But all I'm saying is that when you combine bullying with those high school years when you're kind of developing and, you know, going through puberty, there's the goddamn word, puberty, fuck. Uh, <laughs> well, did you did you find that she was like super bullied, or was it just more isolated because she had to? Because obviously, when the dad, I, I think as the story goes, like she was going to a different high school up to that point, right? And when the dad married yeah. the new mom, she moved schools to where no one knew her. So she, there was definitely the isolation going on because she didn't know anyone except her obvious new stepsister. Right. But I I, didn't, I wasn't sure how much actual bullying was going on. I mean, it's right there on screen. I mean, the way that the girls talk about her behind her back. I mean, the whole scene where Taffy gives the backstory of what happened to, uh, uh, to her mother, to Lisa's mother, those girls all bully her. All those girls that showed up. And then later in the movie, remember when Taffy asked if one of them could drive Lisa home and everybody was like, uh, uh, that's a form of bullying. I mean, you're very obviously showing that you don't like this person and that you have no reason to like to not like this person. That's a form of bullying. It may be subtle, but and obviously we didn't see her whole high school experience. So maybe there was more bullying that we didn't know about. But ultimately, she's the stranger in a strange land. Um, she's still a pretty girl, but because of her circumstances, people kind of look at her a little bit differently. Once she starts dressing a little bit more provocatively, people, again, look at her even more differently, start calling her a slut. I mean, literally, she went from a mouse to a slut, and it's like, really? Just because she changed her outfit? Um, you know, so I started to feel that kind of uh, animosity towards women in the theater. It was It was actually bothering me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're both saying. The bullying is not like prominent in the movie. It's not up front, but there are multiple examples of subtle bullying in this movie. And if that's, and considering Lisa's new to this town, hasn't made a new friend other than her stepsister, that's got to take a toll on an 18 year old psyche. Don't forget, these are seniors. She literally changed towns and schools her senior year. That sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that aspect of it. Yeah, She's yeah. a stranger in a new town, and whether or not the level of bullying is high or not, is she still feels has the isolation feeling because she exactly. has no friends yeah. at the at the very least. Yeah, definitely. But, but like I said, um, for whatever. Yeah, that's why she's yeah. in the graveyard. Uh, doing a little sketch drawing. That's what I mean. She's a, you know, she's Lydia Dietz. You know, ultimately, she's Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. Uh, but Lydia seemed to handle isolation a lot better, you know, for whatever it's worth. Whereas Lisa isn't well, There's no one to bully Lydia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, valid. Va very, very valid. Other than her stepmother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the movie. But, um, yeah, no, no. I, like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell people that they're wrong with, with their opinions on this movie. I never tell people that they're wrong. I don't care. Opinions are opinions. For whatever it's worth, this one worked for me. I absolutely adored Lisa. Um, like I said, early on in the movie when it was a little bit heavy with the 80s aesthetic and they were kind of introducing all of the, the people at school, it started to feel, you know, too much like a high school oriented horror film. But then once we got through all the introductions and then, of course, you know, once the lightning strike and we get, you know, Lisa gets her visitor, I, I thought the movie was just great from then on. Like I, I the way that Lisa talks to this, thing, the, the fact that Lisa was only scared of this thing very, very briefly, 
Like, think about think about how many women would have seen this thing and would have just fucking ran out of town. They would have left their house. They would have just run down the street. She does she does run away at first, but then when the creature sits down and starts kind of looking at some items in the house, she starts speaking to him gently, and she understands that this guy's you know this guy is a is a creature in any creature feature. He's confused. He doesn't know why he's there. He doesn't want to hurt people necessarily. Um, uh, until later in the film when he has reasons to hurt people. But, you know, he's a child. He's basically, a, you know, uh, an undead child that she's that she has to deal with. And something about that aesthetic just worked for me. Like, like I said, the fact that this was not a traditional Frankenstein movie made me just totally like it, um, especially because I've been kind of disappointed with some of the more traditional Frankenstein movies that have come out over the last, like, five to ten years. So, um, yeah. Another thing I want to include in the general thoughts, just in case people are wondering, this is PG-13, but I'll be honest, I don't think the rating held it back at all. Like, I, going into the movie, I was a little worried because Diablo Cody mostly writes, like, more R-rated material, so I was like, okay, is this going to feel like it was, like, cut or chopped? Now, I, I, I'll say, like, maybe maybe elements of story might have felt like they were cut. Like, the way you say... She gets over being scared of uh, the the creature like really quick, or mm-hmm. the way me and Don see the third act is like holy shit, what a what a quick turn. I could see that I could see actual story being cut, but I didn't think like oh my god, this isn't like graphic or mm-hmm. you know uh, over the top enough. I still felt for being PG thirteen, I was still like you know satisfied with the content we got, you know. Absolutely. Like I said, not a lot of gore, not a lot of kills, but if the basic storyline works for you, I think you're going to get some enjoyment out of it. Is everyone going to like it as much as I do? No way. Obviously not. And I understand that. You know, we're all different. All of our opinions are different. I'm sure there's going to be people like me that love the movie, but as I look at it right now, it's sitting on what, like a 6.6 on IMDb, which is pretty good, but... I mean, it's only 2,000 reviews, and the movie's only been out for, what, like a week and a half now? So that number might, you know, come down a little bit more, but, I mean, yeah. 6.6 is pretty good. I think most people seem to at least enjoy it. Uh, you know, they may not love it or really like it, but I think most people at least see, you know, it, it's it's a well-made movie. It's a well-acted movie. It's a fairly well-written movie. I know some people are going to have some issue with plot holes here and there, but like I said, it's a horror comedy for movies like this, I prefer to just turn my brain off and not think too much. And this movie provided me with an hour and 40 minutes of uh, some good entertainment, at least for me, like I said. And even yeah. in the theater, I was in the minority because I, I, I could hear a lot of the groans in the theater. It was a pretty full theater for the second week of release for this movie. Uh, for a Sunday afternoon, even, I saw it at noon today, the first showing on a Sunday. And it was more than halfway packed, so that's pretty good. Um, but I definitely did uh, – it, it felt like most of the people in the theater were like Don, that they kind of felt the movie was lacking, the comedy didn't hit. Like there weren't a, real, a lot of out loud bursts of laughter in the theater. I think I had <laughs> two of the only ones, but I don't care. I, unapolog- I unapologetically enjoy my movies, um, and I try not to be a, you know, a bother to other people in the theater, but I'm sorry. If something's funny, I'm going to laugh, and this movie I, did do it for me a couple of times. So. I, I saw it with a smaller crowd, but I know for sure whoever was kind of like sitting 
like back, way back up at the top, they were having a fun time with it because I could hear them like audible. Uh, I could hear their audible laughter many times throughout it. Um, and the only thing I'll add for general thoughts, and it's more just a. Uh, not even about the movie itself, but just about <laughs> our reactions. Is that's why you gotta listen to Fresh Cuts because I guarantee going into this, if people have been listening for a while, they are probably hearing the opposite opinions from each person they assumed <laughs> about the, about this movie. So I think so. You never. I, yeah, that's how on. movies work, though. You never know. I mean, regardless of like the reputation of a writer or the style or the type of movie it is. It's always going to come out of like that individual movie and how we think of it. You know, it's never going to be guaranteed uh, who likes or dislikes a movie. So it's interesting. And this is why I don't watch trailers, folks, because I don't want to be jaded or have too many undue expectations. Just the title of this movie and Diablo Cody's name attached it uh, attached to it already gave me some undue expectations. And look, I ended up loving it. So for whatever it's worth, I'm glad I'm glad I watched it. I wish we watched it last week, but you know, um Ultimately, I haven't seen a lot of podcasters talking about it, so it seems like it's not a movie that a, a whole hell of a lot of people gravitated towards. And the few that I have heard reviews of are kind of like the Lacey Lou review where, you know, um, they, they're usually fans of Diablo Cody, but just this one didn't work. And then with Mike saying what, you know, um, uh, Amanda's uh, from the horror, uh, from the Faculty of uh, Horror's uh, uh, opinion. Uh, yeah, yeah, Andrea. Um uh, it, it makes sense. It seems like a lot of hardcore Diablo Cody fans aren't digging this one, and I am now the second person that I know of to say this is the first Diablo Cody movie that I enjoy. Hey, don't forget, uh, Eli Roth gave me the first Eli Roth movie I ever enjoyed last year with Thanksgiving. Um, you know, does that make me wrong? Maybe. I, I've never liked Cabin Fever. I thought Hostel was overblown. Hostel 2 was a little bit better, but the hype had kind of died down by then. So, you know, maybe maybe that's why I enjoyed the second one more. But Eli Roth is one of those guys that's – he's just never – I love his horror fandom. I love that he loves horror and everything that he does for horror. But his movies never did anything for me. And finally, Thanksgiving did something for me. And now here we are again with Diablo Cody and Lisa Frankenstein. And I'm happy with it. Am I, like I said, am I going to be the majority on this? Not at all. I understand that I'm going to be the minority. But for whatever it's worth, this worked for me. All the female-centric comedy. There's one line in the movie that I kind of lost it. Um, she's alone in her bedroom with the creature. And she literally tells – and this is right after the creature and her do a rendition of REO Speedwagon's um, – I forget the name of the song, but it's, it's, a, it's a classic REO Speedwagon ballad. Oh, I can't fight this feeling anymore. There it is. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Um, they, they do it together, and I love that scene. Fucking loved it. And then right after it, the first thing that Lisa says to him is, I got to go to the bathroom and change my pad. And I'm thinking to myself, you're talking to a guy from the 1800s. He doesn't know what a fucking pad is, unless you've shown him since you've been there. And it doesn't seem like she was really doing any sexual stuff with him, at least in the first couple of acts. So that was a weird line to tell this guy, I got to go change my pad. Because that line means nothing to him. The creature is just like, what? What the fuck's a pad? I don't know what the hell that is. But I found that kind of funny, that Lisa is so kind of free with her the talk about you know body female body stuff that maybe isn't so loosely talked about especially in a comedy 
kind of way. Obviously, a lot of female stand-up comedians talk about female bodily functions and body parts and things like that under the guise of comedy. But to see a teenage girl, like, like, I... I like Lisa Frankenstein, the character, so much more than Jennifer from Jennifer's Body. Jennifer just felt so vapid and stupid. This girl has a certain level of intelligence and uh, even a little suaveness, if you will. And when she makes her fashion change first, um, she does it on the uh, on the suggestion of the creature. And I loved it. And it obviously it worked for her. It turned a lot of heads at school. She got called a slut because of it, but, you know, at least the majority of the guys thought that she looked pretty cool. Um, and, again, I can see how that kind of attention will change your character. She went from the quiet, out-of-towner that nobody really liked. Suddenly she shows up at school looking hot, goth as fuck, and suddenly she's getting all this attention uh, romantic attention, if you will, and that's going to change your psyche. That's going to change your personality because suddenly you're getting this attention that you never got before. You're you're cognizant of it. You're aware of it. And um, just the uh, again, the way that her personality changed at that point again, it made sense to me. I've seen the Ugly Duckling. I, I have multiple examples from when I was in high school of girls who, at the end of the year weren't very attractive, you know, the ugly duckling syndrome, and then they come back to school in the fall after the summer, and they're fucking supermodels. So, again, I completely am down with Lisa, her motivations, her character turns, just, it all works for me, because I, I see justification behind it, you know, for whatever that's worth. So, yeah. I guess that's it for spoiler-free talk for me. You guys got anything else before we get into it? Mm. I don't know if I want to say anything else just to avoid like the the usual bringing yeah, something yeah. up that should be a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, I I got a feeling this will be a fairly lively uh, spoiler chat, uh, you know, <laughs> because the three of us all have very different opinions of the movie. So uh, let's get into it, folks. This is going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not seen Lisa Frankenstein and you are interested, based on our spoiler-free talk, go ahead and check it out. Pause the show. Come back after you see the movie and. Find out our spoiler-filled thoughts on the film. All right, so here we go. Our movie opens with an animated sequence, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, very elementary animation, you know, not like Disney, Pixar, or anything crazy. Just like very, like, cardboard cutouts-type animation. And the animation is telling the story of a couple, a, a young musician. Uh, and, and this is set, they don't give us an exact year, but I'm, I'm guessing somewhere in the 1800s. Uh, basically, this young musician, um, you know, he's he's like a, a prodigy, a musical prodigy. He is engaged to a beautiful, rich girl. Um, unfortunately, he ends up uh, dying young and without getting married, which is why he's buried at uh, the Bachelor's graveyard. It's actually called Bachelor's. And um, so everybody that's in there is unmarried. It's kind of a weird theme for a graveyard, but whatever. And uh, like I said, he passes away. Uh, he ends up losing uh, his left hand or right hand, his right hand. He ends up losing his right hand uh, in the accident that kills him. And, you know, that's it. They bury him, and then our movie starts. And after, uh, after the opening credits, we see 
Uh, Lisa, she is in uh, the cemetery, the same cemetery where our young musician was buried. And she's just there chilling. She's reading books. She's taking tombstone etchings. You know how some people will put that real thin paper over a tombstone and then rub it with like a charcoal pencil uh, to get the etching. Uh, She's basically doing that. And that actually turned into the title card for the movie, which I kind of liked because apparently someone in that cemetery is named Frankenstein. So she's actually etching out the name Frankenstein with a charcoal pen. And then with her lipstick, she writes Lisa above it. And that turns into our title card. So again, I kind of thought that was pretty cool. Um, After this, we find out that Lisa is new in town. Uh, She is living with her biological father and her new stepmother and stepsister. Um, The stepmom is one of those, oh, man, how do we even describe this woman? Um, If you remember the mom from Hatching, (laughs) this is the American version of that. You know, that woman that on the surface is like the dream mom that everybody loves, and she she has a rich husband and lives in a great house and blah, 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 blah. But then behind, you know, behind the scenes, under the surface, she's just an absolute bitch. Um, You know, we're introduced to uh, the entire family. Uh, The sister's named Taffy. I think her real name is probably Taffeta, uh, but everybody calls her Taffy for short. Um, and like I said, we meet mom and dad, and then we end up going to the school on the way, not on the way to school, but once they get to school, we see that Lisa doesn't really have any friends. Nobody's really talking to her. Nobody's even acknowledging her existence, even though she's standing right next to her sister, Taffy, who is a popular uh, cheerleader at the high school. Like, you know, she's one of the cool kids. Um, But even though uh, Lisa is her stepsister, everyone still ignores Lisa, blah, blah, blah. And then this is the scene where we finally, where we get the backstory of, you know, what happened to Lisa. And as it turns out, uh, Lisa was home alone one night um, many years ago, probably like, I don't know, it it looked like at least like eight to ten years ago. Um, She's alone at home with her mother and literally an axe murderer breaks into their house, just smashes down the door. And unceremoniously kills Lisa's mother. Um, Lisa ends up hiding somewhere in the house, a closet, I don't know what. But she ends up hiding, and and she does the smart thing. She doesn't come out until she hears police sirens. So thank you, Lisa. Um, She stays hidden, but by the time she hears the police sirens and she comes out, it's too late. Obviously, her mother is basically in pieces in the living room, and, and that's it. And now everybody... Uh, Everybody at the school that Taffy is telling the story to, they all kind of agree, oh, well, I'd be messed up, too, if that happened to me. So it almost seems like Taffy's friends are going to be a little bit more understanding and maybe treat Lisa a little bit better as the movie goes along. No, no, not at all. (laughs) So uh, let's see. After this, um, we see Lisa... Um, visit the cemetery, the Bachelor Cemetery, you know, multiple times. Eventually, one day she's at the cemetery and she's at the tombstone. It's her favorite tombstone. It's basically uh, the tombstone of this young musician who she doesn't know, obviously. Um, uh, She likes the tombstone because the tombstone actually has a bust of the guy on it. So it actually shows that he was a young, good-looking, you know, kind of Victorian-looking 1800s kind of guy. Uh, And that he died young, blah, blah, blah. That night, there's a news report that a bolt of lightning hit the bachelor's cemetery. 
and that it destroyed one of the tombstones there. Lisa hears this report and she's concerned, but at the same time, Lisa doesn't have her own car, so she can't just go to the cemetery whenever she wants. She has to kind of wait for Taffy. Uh, that night, after seeing the report about the lightning strike, something breaks into her house and literally, and when I say breaks in, I mean literally jumps through the fucking window into the house and he starts chasing her. This thing is just covered in mud. It looks like the, it almost looks like Tar Man uh, from Return of the Living Dead, but even with even more tar on him. Like, like he literally looks, oh, he looks like the Golgothan from Dogma. If anybody's seen Kevin Smith's Dogma, the shit monster, the Golgothan, it kind of looked like that. Anyway, obviously Lisa's terrified because she's having flashbacks of the axe murderer, you know, attacking her and her mother. So she starts running away from the creature. She ends up running outside. The creature ends up following her. We get this one kind of funny scene where uh, outside Lisa is on her uh, front, uh, like front yard in front of her house. And she's like running away from the creature. She's screaming. Uh, you know, the creature, the creature doesn't seem to be attacking her necessarily, but he is definitely going after her for some reason. Um, eventually, the creature shakes off enough of the mud that he starts to look human. Because obviously, he just came out of his grave because of the lightning strike on the news report. So he dug his way out of his grave after being, you know, uh, Jason lived, if you will, uh, you know, being revived by lightning. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, he goes to Lisa's house um, because that day before the lightning strike, Lisa actually did make a wish. I forgot to mention that. She basically wishes that she was with the musician. Problem is, she intended that wish to mean that she wishes she was dead. She wishes that she was with him, as in, I wish I was dead as well, because my life sucks, I hate everything, everyone hates me, blah, blah, blah. The creature took the wish as, literally, she wants to be physically together with him. So when he's revived, his first mission is to go find Lisa. Now, like I said, eventually the monster does run around enough that mud falls off of him, and he starts to look more human. And then uh, there's a scene where the monster kind of gets tired, the creature, I should say. The creature kind of gets tired, and he, he kind of sits down on the floor, and he starts looking at the dad's phone, uh, the, the a sneaker phone. Uh, and I do remember that phone being a free gift from Sports Illustrated. I, I remember the football phone. I remember the sneaker phone. And there was at least one more that they gave away back in the 80s. But, uh, yeah, so it's a real thing. Um and he's looking at the sneaker phone, and he doesn't know what it is. I mean, obviously, he probably doesn't know what a sneaker is, but, I mean, he knows that it's a shoe-type thing, but it's a phone. He keeps accidentally hitting the buttons, and then Lisa comes, explains to him that that's a phone, and then she realizes that the creature is not really attacking her. He's not trying to kill her. He just wants to be there. He wants to be around her. She has no idea why at this point, but... um. You know, she she starts treating it well. She 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 basically because of how bad he smells, uh, she gives it a bar of soap and then she puts him in the shower. Somehow, uh, the creature figures out how to take a shower, so he washes himself up. He gets all the mud off. Um, he still has black circles around the eyes. I mean, he's still very he looks very much dead. Um, and like I said, he's missing a hand. Um, so basically, there's this cool. I mean, obviously. 
a lot of people aren't going to find the comedy in it. I found it mildly funny. Uh, there's a scene where the creature tries on different outfits. Um, Lisa keeps saying no, no, no. Um, and obviously some of the outfits are funny. Some of them are women's outfits. You know, some of them are very 80s, like ultra 80s, blah, 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 blah. Eventually she gives him like a sport coat, a Violent Femmes t-shirt, and a pair of jeans. And she's happy with the look now. The next day, Lisa has to go to school, obviously. The creature is sleeping in the closet. And at this point, none of the family knows um, what's going on. All they know is, is that Lisa's been breaking things in the house. The window is smashed. Lisa tries to say that there was a home intruder. When her, when her family finally comes home that night, sees the broken window, sees the broken figurines and the mud in the house and everything else, uh, they think that Lisa's just having a mental breakdown. Lisa tells them that there was a break-in, that there was a home invasion, and that she fought them off. But no one believes her. Like, literally, no one fucking believes her. And I'm thinking, Dad, hello? Your daughter witnessed her mother killed by an axe murderer? Don't you have some kind of sympathy that she just dealt with a home invasion? But nope. Dad's just like, oh, okay. Well, they're gone now, so I guess it's not a big deal. The mom, of course, you know, the stepmom, Carla Gugino, you know, she makes a big deal about it, and she basically decides that she's going to commit Lisa. This is the stepmother, by the way, who has no real right to be dictating Lisa's, you know, mental health issues or, or, or remedies or whatever. But the dad is such a wishy-washy little bitch that he basically lets the stepmom make all the decisions. So the next day... Mom is supposed to be going on a trip out of town somewhere, and Lisa assumes that she's already left because the house is quiet. So she, she opens up the closet, she lets the creature out, but then suddenly she hears somebody walking towards her room. She pushes the, the, the zombie back into the closet, and Mom comes in and basically lays everything on the line. Stepmom, excuse me letting her know, I called the doctor at the mental facility, you're going to be you're going to be getting picked up, you're going to be an inpatient, so you're going to be staying there, and you're going to stay there until you act like a normal human being. Now, the whole time that um, stepmom is saying this, she's standing in front of the closet where the creature is. We, so, we, we see the closet doors slowly start to open. We see the creature start to walk up behind her. She still hasn't noticed. Then we see the creature lift something up over its head and bring it right down on mom's head killing her instantly which i thought was cool no bullshit with like mom getting knocked out or blah 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 literally cracked skull blood everywhere well maybe not blood everywhere but there is a blood puddle there uh, in the middle of her bedroom floor and mom is now dead now Remember earlier I mentioned that the creature is missing his hand, his right hand. He's also missing his left ear, I forgot to mention. And after he kills the mom, Lisa's just standing there in shock. You know, you know. obviously Lisa didn't like this woman very much, so it's not like she's crying or anything. But she's just standing there silently like, what the fuck is going on? Finally, <laughs> the creature grabs a pair of scissors, kneels down next to uh, the stepmom's body, and cuts her left ear off, and then hands the left ear to Lisa, to basically motioning to her, put it on my head. Like, he starts pointing at the missing ear on his head, hands her the mother's ear that still has a diamond earring on it, by the way, <laughs> and... um 
Lisa, as it turns out, I did, uh, again, I forgot to mention that it turns out that Lisa is a seamstress, a professional seamstress. She actually works at a laundromat, you know, doing like clothing repairs and things like that. So, of course, conveniently, she can reattach an ear. So that's exactly what she does. She ends up reattaching the ear, sewing it on, but then she starts talking to the creature on that side of his head and asking, hey, does it work? Uh, you know, can you hear me? And the creature kind of just shakes his head, you know, no, I, I, it, it's just decorative, really. It, it's not like I can suddenly hear. But then the creature uh, looks at Lisa and he has an idea. He grabs her hand and he draws a lightning bolt on her, on her hand. And then in, Lisa looks at the lightning bolt and realizes, oh, electricity, maybe we can do that. And as it turns out, there is a tanning bed in Lisa's garage that is faulty. If you put if you put the setting up too high, it actually electrocutes the person inside. It doesn't kill them, thankfully. But uh, there is a funny scene early in the film when Lisa tries to use the tanning bed and gets electrocuted in there. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing um, for this scene where she puts him, uh, you know, with the reattached ear, she puts him into the tanning bed, turns up um, the heat or the, the whatever, the level about halfway and then leaves it on until it kind of sparks out. It shorts out on his own. Uh, when it shorts out, she opens it. Um, we get the creature come out of the tanning bed, and then she tries the, the ear, and she's like, does it work? Does it work? And then she starts yelling at it. Does it work? She's yelling into his ear, and the creature just looks at her and just goes, ah! Like he's yelling back at her. So, yes, the ear does work. He can now hear through that ear. Bing, bang, boom. Stepmom is gone. They decided to bury her in his grave because obviously he dug his way out. So there's now a big pit in Bachelor's Cemetery. So they literally throw her body in there. Um, but obviously he's not going to want to take a right hand from this woman because it's a woman's hand. It's going to look weird if he has one female and one male hand. Um, so uh, basically... Lisa says something, I don't know what the exact words that she uses were, but she says something along the lines of, well, I didn't like her that much anyway, so I'm not angry with you. Um, in fact, I, I think I probably owe you something. Is there anything I can do for you? And then he sticks out his stump, his right hand, you know, his missing right hand. He sticks that arm out, and she's like, hmm, what can we do? Now, Earlier in the film, there is a party scene where Lisa ends up drinking a spiked drink that's got PCP in it, and she ends up having a big old trip and everything, blah, blah, blah. Um, at that party, after she's drugged, one of her friends uh, from school, this little short, wormy little douchebag uh, that works with her on the school paper, I guess, um, starts acting concerned, like, oh, my God, did somebody slip you something, blah, blah, blah. So he's taking her out of the party and taking her upstairs to a bedroom. Obviously, most of us are on the assumption that he's trying to help her and so that she doesn't get taken advantage of. But what, what's this douchebag do? He starts fondling her. He, he, he basically starts squeezing one of her breasts, and she doesn't notice it because she's tripping. And he basically just says, oh, does that feel good? And then she looks down and realizes that he's fondling one of her breasts. And then he takes her hand and puts it on his crotch. So this little wormy douchebag is, you know, literally a fucking douchebag, a fucking sex offender douchebag. Lisa obviously freaks out and leaves. 
So at this point in the film, when the monster says that he wants a right hand, she remembers this guy and she's like, oh, fuck it. Uh, so she ends up sending him a note saying that she apologized for freaking out at the party and that she, after thinking about it, she actually does want to be with him and that to meet him at the bachelor's cemetery after school that night. Um, he does end up going to meet her and we get the scene that we expect to get. Uh, basically he's attacked from behind by the creature. Uh, the creature has an ax or a hatchet, uh, basically cuts his hand off. Uh, and he basically, you know, this guy starts screaming, blah, blah, blah. He starts running away and no one is chasing after him. So it almost seems like they, they literally just wanted his hand and they're just going to let him go. But then the creature starts lining up the hatchet and ends up throwing it. And then we get, we get this weird slow motion shot of the ax flying in the air. Finally, it hits the guy in the back, killing him. And they go ahead and they throw his body into the pit with the stepmother who's already in there. Uh, cut back to the tanning bed. There's, you know, Lisa sewing the hand back onto him and then uh, putting him in the tanning bed. And when he comes out, the hand works. And, of course, if you remember, I mentioned that this guy was a musical prodigy in his, you know, in his living life. Uh, and he's so excited to have a second hand that he drags Lisa to the piano. Yes, they happen to have a piano. And he literally starts playing a song that he wrote. And it's a great song. Um, Lisa thinks that it's Mozart or something. She actually says, what, is that Mozart or Beethoven or something? And the creature just kind of motions towards himself. And she's like, you wrote that? Holy shit. And then the creature sees some sheet music on the piano. And he looks at it and he points at it like he's asking her what it is. And he says, uh, Lisa tells them, oh, that's my father's. My father used to play piano when my mother was alive. Um, but he hasn't touched it since, you know, she was murdered. So he sits at the piano, starts playing the song, and it's the first couple of chords of I, uh, I Can't Stop This Feeling Anymore from REO Speedwagon. Uh, this is one part where the entire theater actually laughed. Uh, once everybody recognized the song, obviously, if you're under 30, you probably don't know the song. Um, but maybe if you're a savvy 20-something-year-old that, that actually listens to 80s music, then maybe you're familiar with it. But literally, he's playing the he's playing the REO Speedwagon song, and then Lisa starts singing it, starts singing the actual lyrics, and then they perform almost the entire song, beginning to end. And at the end, uh, that's when she has that funny line about "I got to go change my pad," and you know, and we got to go to bed because the family's going to be home soon. Blah blah blah. So now Lisa realizes that this guy was a great musician. In life, and now that he has his second hand and his second ear, he can actually play beautiful music, blah, blah, blah. At this point, though, um, Lisa starts getting a little bit more open with the creature. Uh, that night, they end up finding uh, uh, Lisa's vibrator, that big, uh, quote-unquote, back massager that no woman uses for their back anywhere, if you've ever seen a porn. Um so literally the creature starts using it on her back because she told her, she told him that it's a back massager. And then she's like, well, it's not just a back massager. You can actually, you can actually do it on other parts of the body. And, and she kind of, almost like she's explaining it to a child uh, and then looks at him and says, do you want to try? 
and he's like, mm. so so yeah. Um, at the same time, downstairs, um, the dad and stepmom are getting the word now that the excuse me, the dad and the stepsister now get the word from the police that stepmother is missing. Like I said, she was supposed to be out of town, so nobody reported her missing right away. Um, but once they realize that she never arrived at the hotel where she was supposed to be, then they start worrying. And literally, at the same time that Taffy and the dad are downstairs crying in each other's arms, uh, the creature is beating off Lisa with the vibrator. And you can actually hear Lisa's orgasm from downstairs. They're literally, Dad and Taffy are in an embrace, crying, and you hear Lisa upstairs go, oh, my God, which, again, I lost it. I thought that shit was funny. I don't care. Um, at this point in the film, this is where Lisa gives the creature a little bit of her intentions. And as it turns out, she met a guy at school uh, called Michael, uh, Michael Trent, who works on the school paper with her, and she's kind of developed feelings for him throughout the film. So she finally admits to the creature, you know what? I I, I don't want to die a virgin. And, and they actually get into a conversation about, did he die a virgin? And he, he starts to act kind of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Embarrassed. Uh, almost like he did die a virgin, but he doesn't want to admit it. Finally, she gets it out of him that he did uh, have sex with one person. And she asks, you know, did you love her? He nods. Yes, he loved her. But And that was the woman that he was engaged to and, you know, but died before he was able to marry her. So this is when Lisa's like, you know what? I don't want to die a virgin and I'm taking control of my own body. So fuck it. I'm going to go fuck Michael tomorrow. Literally, she's like, I'm going to just give him my body. Um, blah, blah, blah. And that's the plan. So the next day, <laughs> uh um, I, I forget the exact series of events leading up to Michael's house. I know the creature at one point um, decides to move the stepmom's car uh, because for some reason the stepmom's car is still at the house, but nobody's questioning, you know, why she didn't take it to the airport with her or to her destination. There, most people are probably just assuming that she, uh, you know, um, disappeared. Uh, not disappeared, but that she took an Uber maybe or a taxi or something. Um, but then once the police realize that she never checked in, uh, uh, there's a report over the radio that her car is still at the house and that the cops are going to come investigate. The creature decides to jump in the car. How the fuck this creature who was alive in the 1800s knows how to drive is fucking beyond me. But the dude can drive. He gets into the car. Um, and he drives like five miles an hour everywhere he goes. Obviously, he's, you know, speed limits are a new concept to him. So he's literally driving like it's a, like it's a horse and buggy, like, you know, literally going like three miles an hour. Uh, he ends up attacking one of his neighbors, which is another funny scene because the neighbor is an older gentleman who's yelling at his kid. It's either his kid or his grandkid, but he's yelling at a kid on his lawn. 
The guy then walks up to the creature and says, who are you? You don't belong in this neighborhood. Uh, you know, are we going to have to throw hands? And we don't actually see the fight. The scene just cuts. The guy is on the ground out cold. The creature is pulling away in the stepmom's car. And the little kid that the old guy was yelling at is now waving towards the creature saying goodbye with a smile on his face. Like, hey, thanks for kicking my grandpa's ass for me. You know, I, I don't know. I just I, I found it comical. I fucking loved it. So, like I said, at this point, um, he's uh, trying to get rid of the car. At the same time, he runs into Lisa, who is walking to Michael's house um, because Taffy has the only car. And Taffy ended up skipping school that day. Lisa doesn't have access to a car, so she's walking to Michael's house. On the walk to Michael's house, the creature pulls up next to her. She's like, what the fuck are you doing out here? What are you doing out in the open? She gets in the car. Um, The creature knows that she's going to Michael's house to kind of, you know, give her body to him. He doesn't want her to. Obviously, I think it's obvious to the audience at this point, the creature is developing feelings for Lisa. Lisa's doing everything for this creature. Lisa is not looking at the creature romantically in any way, shape, or form. She's into Michael, and she wants Michael. So they end up going to Michael's house. Uh, the creature drops her off. Uh, she tells the creature to stay in the car and wait for her, like, like he's going to wait in the car for her to go get laid and then come back. But anyway, she ends up going upstairs. Um, she hears that Michael is in his bedroom talking to someone, um, but he was supposed to be alone because he skipped school. So she, you know, quietly walks up to the door and there's her sister Taffy and Michael in bed. Now, mind you folks, this is the guy that Lisa has been saying throughout almost the entirety of the movie that she likes this guy to the point that Taffy actually made fun of her saying, what do you see in this guy? Blah, blah, blah. And now here's Taffy fucking him. And they're literally in bed post uh, it's post coitus. They've already done it. Um, He's naked. She's in her underwear and they're just kind of talking in bed. And then finally, Lisa just blows up and runs into the bedroom and just starts berating the guy. What the fuck is wrong with you? And then she starts yelling at her sister, how the fuck can you sleep with the only guy that I wanted to be with? Then the guy starts, you know, Michael starts telling her, listen, uh, it was never going to work between us. Even though it did seem like he was interested throughout the film, he starts busting out with it was never going to work between us. You just have way too many interests, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then she accuses him of wanting to only date dull women. Basically, he wants to be the interesting one in the relationship. He doesn't want to date an interesting girl like Lisa, someone who dresses goth, wears makeup, you know, has a certain style and confidence to her. He wants to be that person in the relationship. So he ends up discovering that Taffy is a little bit more subdued and not as unusual as Lisa. So they end up getting together. As she's yelling at Michael, calling him an asshole, everything else, suddenly the monster, uh, the creature, walks into the room with his handy hatchet still in his hand, and it looks like he's about to go and kill Michael, like he's going to bury the hatchet into his fucking head. No, my friends, he buries the hatchet into Michael's crotch, and then we actually, and for a PG-13 movie, this was pretty risque, we actually see the detached balls and cock shadow uh, across the wall. Like, we see the shadow of the detached ball. By the way, great shot to be able to get the balls, too. 
I can't imagine that's easy to be able to chop them both off at once, but especially a guy who was laying flat in bed. So kudos to the creature. <laughs> the creature ends up taking the penis and cock, or excuse me, the penis and balls. He ends up taking it with him and going, um, he ends up going back to bachelor's, um, uh, to the bachelor's cemetery. Now, at this point, Michael is dead. He's bleeding out on the bed. And Taffy, still in her underwear, still in bed with dead Michael, just starts screaming, screaming at the top of her lungs. She doesn't know what the fuck is going on. At this point, the creature has left the room, but Lisa is trying to comfort Taffy, trying to tell her, you know, you're my only friend, and I would never hurt you. I would never do anything to hurt you, blah, 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 blah. Well, until you fuck the only guy that I wanted to be with. But Lisa is actually very forgiving. And to her credit, she doesn't, like, she doesn't hold a grudge towards her sister. She basically forgives her almost instantly. Like, literally later, uh, later on in the car, she basically forgives her and says, I love you. You're my only friend. You're the only one who ever talks to me or includes me, blah, blah, blah. At this point, Taffy's still in shock. She's covered in blood. She's covered in Michael's penis blood. <laughs> and um, she's not even fully dressed. She's just put on a T-shirt. She's still from the waist down. She's just in panties. And Lisa basically takes Taffy's car and follows the creature to the cemetery. Once she gets to the cemetery, uh, she tells Taffy, wait here for me. I'll be right back. I just got to take care of this. Um, as soon as Lisa leaves the car, Taffy takes off running, obviously, and then she ends up going to the uh, to the cemetery. The creature is there, and she starts talking about how um, she starts to realize in this scene that the creature is developing feelings for her, and she's like, "Oh my God, I I wasn't even." Th it's almost like a shock to her that she you know she's surprised that the creature had romantic feelings for her, but then she she reciprocates almost instantly. She's like, "Well, you know, you're the only guy that's ever really treated me well, so." And she's still at this point. She's already been questioned about the disappearance of the douchebag guy, and people are still. Starting to because her real mother was killed by an axe murder and now her stepmother is now missing. People are actually starting to equate Lisa as the killer, saying that, oh, she keeps killing her mother or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, she does eventually get to the cemetery, realizing that the creature has feelings for her. And then she says, well, then I want you to make love to me. Because don't forget, Lisa's still a virgin at this point, though she's masturbated plenty, plenty of times. Um, but. She tells the creature, I want you to make love to me. The creature starts shaking his head like, no, like he doesn't want to. And Lisa's like, what? What are you talking about? After everything that we've been through, you don't want to make love with me? Then the creature takes Lisa's hand and just like the douchebag did at the party, takes her hand and puts it on his crotch. But then Lisa instantly realizes, oh, there's nothing there. His dick and balls fucking... Uh, what do you call it, probably fell off and deteriorate, deteriorated over time in the grave. So he literally has no penis. And she's like, ah, oh. like she starts to get sad that, but, but then she starts to be positive. She's like, oh, well, there's other stuff we could do. You don't need to have a penis to be a man. Then he pulls out Michael's penis out of his pocket, wrapped in a cloth, hands it to her. And she's like, oh, did you? did you get this for me? Did you get Michael's penis for me? And the creature starts shaking his head. So we get this great scene 
of Lisa on her knees, standing in front of the creature in what would normally be the blowjob position, but she's sitting there with a needle and thread. We don't get to see anything because she's blocking it. The creature is embarrassed. Like, he doesn't want to look down. He's looking away. He's looking up. He doesn't want to look at Lisa attaching this penis to him. So, finally, the penis is attached. They go back to the uh, to the tanning bed. They go through the electrical procedure again. The penis is working, and bam, they go up to the bedroom, and they start to have – I actually like this love scene because I actually thought that they were going to go overboard with it, like um, – not necessarily get gross, but just show me stuff that I really don't want to see. But all they really showed was a little bit of the foreplay where the creature was kissing her on the forehead. And then as soon as Lisa mounts him, it goes to an animated sequence. And it's, you know, it's all the, it's like the rocket ship, the train going through the tunnel. It's like all the traditional silly cartoons that represent intercourse. Um, and then, you know, uh, like I said, they're done. And once Lisa's done, she realizes that, you know, uh, the cops are on her heels because she's already been questioned about the douchebag kit that's missing. Eventually, they're going to figure out what happened to the mom once they find her body um, and once they find the blood stain in her bedroom that she put a carpet over. She put, like, a little rug over the blood stain rather than clean it. So she knows that the time her time is running out. Um, she's no longer a virgin, so she basically makes the, uh, the the conscious decision that I'm ready to end my life. I'm ready to commit suicide. She figures that, you know, because of the situation, she's going to end up going to jail for the rest of her life. The creature is going to get um, – the creature is either going to run away or he's going to get killed by the, you know, unfeeling populace, whatever the case may be. So she decides, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and commit suicide. The creature decides to help her. They go down to the, panic, uh, to the tanning bed. Um, but this time, when she gets into the tanning bed, she tells the creature, make sure to turn it all the way up, which they haven't done once this whole movie. And that's exactly what happens. Lisa gets into the tanning bed. The creature turns the thing up we see the spark start to fly uh we see a fire start and then we see the creature just grab a chair and sit there next to the tanning bed almost like he's also doesn't want to live anymore without lisa the whole shed it's uh the tanning bed's not in the house it's like in a shed out in the back the whole shed is engulfed in flames. Everybody in the neighborhood is outside. I mean, literally, the firemen haven't even arrived yet. And pe- and you can hear the neighbors talking shit about Lisa, how cr- how strange she is. I mean, if that's not bullying, I don't know what the fuck is. Um, so even, even her fucking neighbors didn't like her. Uh, so like I said, the whole thing, the whole shed's engulfed in flames. The scene fades out. Then we see uh, the creature... Uh, at least we think it's the creature sitting on a park bench. And as the camera starts to get closer to him, we realize that he's speaking. He's speaking perfect English, which he's not done this entire uh, movie. So I, and I'm sure a lot of other viewers, probably thought that this was going to be a flashback to when the musician was alive. Um, because he's dressed in kind of, you know, old-time garb. And he's reading a poem from, a, you know, out of a book. Oh, very eloquently, by the way, you know, not like Frankenstein by any stretch. But then the camera pans around to the front, and what we see is the creature looking completely human. No more black circles under his eyes, no scars on his wrist or his ear. He literally is completely, I don't know if he's healed necessarily, or 
if maybe the electrical fire in the shed just kind of finished the job and repaired everything else on his body. Because then as the camera pans around, we see Lisa's body laying on his lap, you know, like she's sleeping, like her head is on his lap. She's curled up on the rest of the bench, but she's also bandaged up head to toe. So she's obviously got like full body scars from the fire. It seems like she's dead because he's just sitting there reading to her. She's not moving, breathing, nothing. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, just as he finishes reading his poem, Lisa's eyes open. And very recognizable, bloodshot, Frankenstein-like eyes, almost Dracula-like eyes, if you will, too. And the movie ends right there, folks. So I'm not sure if that's a happy ending or not, but it seems that the creature was able to revive Lisa with the same techniques with how he was revived. And as we can see, all of his injuries are healed. He's looking completely human. He can speak. So I'm assuming that's his intention with Lisa too: revive her, bring her back and, you know, get her back to totally human form so that they can live their lives out together out on the road. Cause obviously um, at this point, everyone thinks Lisa's dead. We actually get a scene at the cemetery where uh, dad and Taffy are at the cemetery <laughs> and again, just like with uh, Lisa's, uh, excuse, yeah, just like with Lisa's mom, the dad wants to just be involved. It's like his stepwife is dead, his biological daughter is dead, but he's talking about going to Fuddruckers with his daughter later, with his stepdaughter. So, so, like I said, this town is just so fucked up. They they can't deal with trauma. They can't deal with just. You know, being they can't just cry, just have a good cry. They literally just want to brush everything under the carpet and move on. And that's what the movie leaves us with, that sense of people want life to be normal. Every, anytime there's some non-normalcy in their life, they want to brush it out as quickly as possible. And, yeah, I, that's kind of what I got from that last couple of scenes there. But And that's our movie, folks. That's Lisa Frankenstein 2024. I don't know if I gave it any justice with my uh, walkthrough. I know I, I knew this walkthrough was going to be a little bit longer because of how much I enjoyed the film and how many different aspects of it that I wanted to speak about and speak on. Uh, but yeah, uh, even after talking about it now, I still really like this movie. I don't know that this is going to be a purchase or something that I'll revisit. I'll definitely revisit it at the end of the year if it's still somewhere near my top 10. Otherwise, it's it's a it's a solid horror comedy that you know I don't think I need to return to, but one that I enjoyed on first watch, and you know I'll probably just leave it at that. There's there's probably going to be a lot more movies coming in the next few weeks to take up my time. So, but like I said, for whatever it's worth, I enjoyed it. I recommend it. I, I can't put my finger on why I liked it so much more than other people, especially because, as I've already said a thousand times, I'm not a Diablo Cody fan, or never was before, and here we are. So I'll shut up now. Did the one dude deserve to get killed, though? Oh, uh, which one, Michael? The one that she had her kind of eyes set on. Yeah, Michael. Um, honestly, nobody really deserved to die in this movie. Stepmom didn't deserve to get killed. Like everyone who dies, it, it, it's, well, it's it's no, a reaction. Okay, it's an so, overreaction. Um, like I said, it's Lisa well, wanting to do a favor for the creature. Stepmom was like an over-the-top villain, so she, I mean, uh, portrayed kind of as a evil, right. evil stepmother. I understand the motivation. The 
the kind of guy, the nerd, the nerd guy who acted yeah. nice and then uh, turned oh, out to be a creep. Get it? The dude that slept with her sister or stepsister. I understand why she'd be angry with the stepsister because obviously she knew she kind of liked him. But I, I, and I'm trying to recollect if I recollect if I missed anything. They have a she that guy. They kind of had similar interest. That guy and Lisa. Yes. But I I don't remember at any point where like he showed like romantic interest and then he went behind her back and slept. Because like you know what I'm saying. Like I know the stepsister. She ah. was kind of wrong for it. But like right. it's not like him and Lisa were actually like dating. And then he, like, or he did something to say, like, yeah, I, I know they had a couple scenes together where, like, oh, it looks like they might be into the same interest because they, he would talk to her in the hall at school. But, because uh, if anything, if she would have murdered the stepsister, not that it would have been justified murder, but you would have at least got the motivation, if, like, in a, in a sure. moment of rage. Well, don't but, forget, uh, Lisa doesn't murder anybody in this movie. Lisa doesn't murder anybody, and the only person that she actually wants dead is the douchebag that she takes the hand from. So in Lisa's defense, she didn't want Michael dead. Not at all. She wanted to yell at Michael, get all the shit off her chest, but then the creature walked in, noticed that she's yelling at Michael, so obviously the creature's going to do what he thinks is right. And even the creature, don't forget, the creature... I don't even think the creature intended to kill Michael. He just wanted that one body part off him. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the, the as soon as that's what he did, I figured that was the entire reason he did that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Because uh, he needed that body part. Because it did come out of nowhere. Like the, I don't know. I, I got to say that, yeah, that was his intention, that he was already kind of setting up, you know, getting a penis so that he could, you know, uh, have sex with Lisa. But and this was the perfect opportunity because, hey, there's a penis that Lisa actually wanted to be with. And now she gets to <laughs> just on a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, I, it, the movie worked for me. It's, is it corny? Is it hokey? Absolutely. But, I mean, is it well-made? Is it well-directed? Is it well-edited? Is the score great? Is the sound design great? Yes, on all counts. So, for whatever it's worth, it works for me. I enjoyed it. I will unapologetically say Lisa Frankenstein is my number one horror movie of 2024. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> all right. Uh, anything to add, Dawn, before we close out? Mm, I, I think we covered pretty much most of what I got. Um, trying to think back. But yeah, no, nothing's really coming to me. All right, then. Well, that's going to do it for our talk on Lisa Friggins. But before we get out of here, let's uh, talk about what we got coming up, including a couple of our uh, shows under the No More Room in Hell podcast family. So, Venom, take it away. All right, we got the latest episode of the main show, No More Room in Hell, coming up uh, very, very soon. Uh, this is, I believe, our second Hammer Horror special. Uh, we did one a couple of years ago. This time we looked at uh, the Gorgon and Quatermass and the Pit. And one of those was a new watch for almost all of us on the show, almost. So, yeah, go ahead and check that out. That should be available as you listen to this one. 
No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts, episode number 23, is in the can. It is being edited right now. On that episode, Derek, Don, and myself looked at 19... Oh, wait a minute. Which 2002's. 2002's Dog Soldiers. Oh, years. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 2002's Dog Soldiers. If you don't know what Dog Soldiers is, what are you doing? Go watch it right now. And and then join us on the next episode of Creature Comforts to find out what we all thought about it. Uh, that episode should be available by the end of this week. I'm still in the middle of editing that one. Um, my wife is still recovering from her malady that she had a couple of weeks ago. So I've been you know spending a lot of time with her taking care of her. So editing has kind of taken a back seat. But that episode should be out by the end of this week. And that, I believe, is everything I have for now. So uh, I will uh, turn the floor over to whoever's (laughs) next. Kick it over to Dawn. All right. Uh, Yeah, Um, as mentioned, I'm pretty much covering all three shows this week, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, the main show, uh, the Tamar Horror special, uh, great time there. Creature Comforts, uh, Dog Soldiers, um, those of you who know me will know my love of that movie, but um, otherwise you'll get a pretty clear idea when that one drops, so uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, the latest episode of my show, uh, The Horror Countdown, uh, I ended up looking at our top 10 killer kid films, which was a uh, lot of fun. And... Uh, I, I ended up getting the dates mixed up. Um, I, I I mentioned last time that I was going to um, appear on the show, uh, the Would You Die podcast. Uh, that is actually dropping next week. Um, I, I thought it was dropping uh, the week you hear this, but um, it's actually dropping next week. Um, so yeah, uh, that one will um, that will uh, it'll be out next time. But um, yeah, this one will uh, like I, I know I. You know, did it last year where I promoted a bunch of stuff for weeks, but uh, this one is going to come out next week. Uh, It is a look at uh, Godzilla in general, as if you didn't get enough of us from uh, Creature Comforts. But uh, this was more of a a general conversation. Uh, We looked at all the eras. We looked at, you know, our our favorites from different sections, uh, different appearances, uh, different topics and stuff like that. So uh, that one will be available. Um, it is under the Would You Die podcast. So um, look for that under uh, your various services. Um, yeah, i still waiting on a couple of other uh, guest spots to uh, drop, which, uh, I, again, as I said, I will uh, let you know when those are out. But um, at the risk of sounding like like I did last year where I was promoting stuff for two or three months, um, I, I don't just uh, mention them when they come out. So, uh, until then, I guess that's uh, pretty much it for me. All right. As far as I go, everything new for me has already been mentioned. Uh, I'm still working on a makeup date to finish out the Cut to the Chase episode. Uh, we, we, I think it was going to be last week, and then I got sick, so that had to get put off. But uh, that'll be coming soon, and... Uh, already mentioned, No More Room in Hell 57, which is ready to go. And uh, I don't know, as far as the next episode of Fresh Cuts, I don't think there is a theatrical release coming out this coming up week, at least not wide. So 
will be yeah, back to the VOD bucket, I think. Yeah, we're not back in theaters till the first week of March for Imaginary. Okay. Yep. Is Imaginary that toy one? Yeah, that's the teddy bear. Yep. Teddy bear, that's right. <laughs> March 8th. All right. Oh, so that'll go. probably be the second week then, if it's the eighth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I just caught it right now as soon as you said it. But yeah, um, so next one is the uh, second week of March. Yep. All right. So that's officially two weeks from this coming up Friday. So, all right. Okay. Well, with that said, that sounds like it's going to do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, let's say bye to our listeners. Later. REO Speedwagon is the greatest band ever. <laughs> <laughs>